We've been in a series of messages calling Embrace the Savior. And uh, today we'll continue uh, the last in the series of sermons. And uh, I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, and find Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2. And we're going to begin with verse number 21. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning with verse number 21. We'll catch up to verse 25 in a minute. (laughs) When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law. And Simeon took him in his, up in his arms, praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel And to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna. A daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years. Having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex serving God night and day with fastings and prayers. And at the very moment, she came up and began to thank God to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Amen. I've asked today to lead us in prayer. My daughter and son-in-law and two of the most handsome grand boys you'll ever see are uh, visiting with us today. Justin is pastor, one of the pastors at uh, McLean Bible Church. And Justin, uh, would you please come? Justin's spoken here before. I think he spoke here last year at this time. And Justin, would, would you mind just leading, a, leading us in prayer as we get ready to open God's Word together? Morning. Let's pray. Jesus, your word spoke in the beginning, 
and the world was, and all that was created in it was done and worked through your son, Jesus Christ. We see later in Genesis 1 that the word also formed the people. And that's a pattern throughout Scripture. So we pray in this moment that your word would, through the mouth of Pastor Tim, form us as your people. That you would do a work in and through us by the power of your word as we devote ourselves to it in the same way that the early church did. Jesus, we know that the word works in a powerful way. So we pray that not only that it would uh, speak to us intellectually, but it would grip us emotionally and move in us a desire to obey it. Not just that we would be hearers of the word, but doers also. So God, would you help us to enjoy the work that happens through the rest of this service as Pastor Tim comes to preach. And Lord, uh, pray that you would use him as your mouthpiece. That one of the prophecies of Jesus was that he would strike the world with the rod of his mouth. And so would you rouse us from sleeplessness? Would you rouse us from uh, complacency? Would you rouse us from just fatigue? Would you rouse us from inattentiveness? And help us in this service, in this very moment, to be attentive to your word's work in us. Your yes, spirit's God. prompting yes, to Father. us. Your conviction. Yes, Father. Your, your leading so that we might be made more like your son as a result yes. of the word. Yes. That it would shape and fashion us to help us to imitate your son. And call others to imitate us also as we imitate you. Jesus, make us more like you. Not that we would want to fashion each other in one another's image, but that we would all be fashioned in the image of your Son. So that the words work that you began long ago would speed to completion as you complete the work that you began in us. Lord, we know all this happens through the wonderful power of your word, which is able to break through our defenses and speak. So, Lord, we we pray because you taught us to pray. Because pray is our way of acknowledging that the world is not as it should be, and our only hope is you. So as we pray in this moment, help us to hear you speak a word to us. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. As we look into God's Word today, we're thinking about really seven ways that we can make Christmas last all year long, and uh, that we'll embrace the Savior, not just at Christmas time, but all year long in your life. And, uh, and uh, today, this is our focus, and we want to look at the presentation of Jesus, two things that happen. First of all, the naming of Jesus and his circumcision. And then when Joseph and Mary, uh, after 40 days after the birth, come to Jerusalem, which is about five miles from Bethlehem, and it's at a slight incline, so it's slightly higher elevation, on the top of Mount Zion, coming into Jerusalem to the temple complex to present this special treasure of the gift of this baby. And those that greeted him and the message that took place at that place. And I thought as we look at that and thinking about Christmas, 
rather than just segmenting Christmas to just relegating Christmas to a festive period of time in our society, even in church life or the church calendar, but especially in the secular calendar. How can Christmas be more than that? How can we embrace this Savior all year long in our life? And uh, I want us to, to look at that today. Uh, the, yesterday, the house was filled with grandchildren. We had 16 people in our house. And about 47 of them were small little children. <laughs> it was total chaos. I don't know why we cleaned the house. It's just been delightful chaos and great fun. And so they needed a break, a change of scenery. They took all the kids to uh, a place in Edwardsville where you can jump on trampolines and jump into balls and, and foam. And they said, Papa, you want to come? I said, no, I, Papa needs to read his Bible. And so... Uh, <laughs> beca- <clears throat> And so I uh, said, Justin, do you want to come? He said, Justin needs to read his Bible too. And so, uh, because there was sanctification taking place in our lives. And so it was a delight. They afterwards went to Steak and Shake, all of them, and ate, poor waitress. And so uh, I said, Valerie, do you all go out to eat often? She said, we no- never go out to eat unless there's a playland. Uh, attached to the place that we're going to. Little Ezra said, asking about the best part of his day yesterday, he said, I got to go to a restaurant and eat. (laughs) He is now a fan of steak and shake, especially the shake. How can I, as I was driving this morning to church, before sunup, the Christmas lights were on. I was thinking about just the feelings that we had just a few days ago. The expectation, the sentimentality about Christmas. And how so it seems like a long time, doesn't it? From Christmas Day to New Year's Day in some ways. And yet how can it become How do we embrace the Savior all year long? How about the hope and the joy that I feel a Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? How does that happen in my life all year long? Somebody facetiously said, the way to enjoy Christmas all year is put it on your visa. And so, uh, well, that's uh, not what I'm talking about. Something greater than that. As you look at the setting that is here, we notice some lessons in how to embrace the Savior every day, all year long, from these two people that we're introduced to in Luke's gospel. Now, just sort of the setting, in verse number 21, it says, when eight days were completed for his circumcision, according to tradition and the law, there would be the naming of the child. This usually took place traditionally in Jewish family on the day of circumcision. And so circumcision, as you'll recall, is the cutting away of skin on this male child. It, it is a sign of a covenant of promise of God. It's an, a sense of identity 
that this is who we are as God's people. We are cutting away of the flesh, a symbolism of cutting away of impurity and setting ourselves aside to be different. His people, a covenant people. In the New Testament, this circumcision is important because Paul realizes that it's not the circumcision of our outward flesh, but it's the circumcision by God's hand on men's hearts that needs to take place. Because the transformation that needs to happen in us is by the work of God on the hearts of men and women. Amen? And said, you'll name him Jesus. The word Jesus we looked at in recent weeks, it's, it's, it means Yeshua. It's a, a, a form of Joshua. It's, it's, it means Jehovah saves, that, that God saves. And Jesus is this Savior given it. And this is the name that they give him at circumcision. And he was named by whom? His parents, both of them in agreement. But the name had been given to them by whom? It says an angel. When? Before he was what? Conceived. The name was given of the, from the angel to Joseph and Mary prior to the baby being not born, conceived. Wow! Mind-boggling. God had a plan for this child to accomplish. And even before he was conceived, God knew that he would be conceived, and God had a plan for his life. And I want to share with you this morning, God has a plan for your life. You are not here by an accident. Jesus had a mission. He had an identity. And his name reflected that identity. He would be Savior. I think names are important. They were important in the Bible and they're important today. What is in a name? A name can reflect an identity. I wish we had time to delve into this today, but who are you? This is a big question that we often ask, and when I meet with people individually or going through times of crisis or confusion, I say, who are you? No, who are you? What is your name? Who do you belong to? What do you value? What is your purpose? What is your mission in life? Who are you? Hmm. And so, his name is Jesus. I think there's something important here for us as parents and, and with our children. First of all, as parents, you have a name. You have an identity. Who are you? You'd better answer that. Because your children want to learn from you who we are. And if you don't know, they won't know. And you have a heritage. Now, some of us didn't have very good heritages. And we had difficult families and a lot of dysfunction. And by the way, it's not whether you have a dysfunctional family or a, a not a dysfunctional family. That's not it. 
It's just what degree of dysfunction your family has. But names can be changed by God's character, right? For instance, Jacob, the name Jacob, is that a great name? How would you like to be named heel snatcher, cheat, deceiver? Is that a good name, a deceiver, heel snatcher? Somebody that wants to take somebody else's place, supplanter? So the name Jacob had a negative meaning in a way, this competitor that was always trying to seize a position before his brother, Jacob. And the Greek name for that is James, right? Jacob. But God does a change in his life, and he said, you'll be called Israel. Transformation in the life of Jacob. But the scripture is replete with expressions. He'll reign over the house of Jacob. He's Jacob now is infused with a different meaning, a greater meaning as a patriarch, as a man of God. How about this name, Judas? How many of you want to name your children Judas? What does Judas' name mean? Praise. That's a good name, isn't it? Praise to God. But why do we not use Judas? Because it's associated with a traitor, right? One who betrayed our Savior. But you have a name. And God's character change in your life can make your life and your name and your identity powerful in this broken world. Amen? What is your mission in life? To know him. To make him known. To sing his praise. To tell of his love. To follow Jesus. Live like Jesus. Let Jesus rule and reign in your life. And to demonstrate powerfully the love of God. It was the days of purification. 33 days later. Then they go to Jerusalem. And when they arrive, they come to the temple and one of the outer courts of the temple. And they were doing this to fulfill the law of Moses. And the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 12 tells us that you should come and bring a after the days of purification. That's 40 days. If it's a male child, female child, twice as long. I don't know why. Justin will tell us later. I don't know why. But here's the deal. They bring a year lamb, a yearling, and a pigeon or a turtle dove. But if you were a very poor family, then you would just bring the birds, a pair of birds, and that would be your present, that your gift that would be offered in sacrifice at the conclusion of your perfect purification because of the woman's birth had made her unclean and there needed to be a purification that took place. And so this took place to fulfill the law. Galatians 4 tells us, that they fulfilled the law. Jesus, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So that he might redeem those of us that were under the law and that we might be adopted as his son. Amen. And so we see this in the life of Jesus. But understand that they come and 
also Jesus being the very firstborn. Exodus 13 tells us that there needs to be a gift redeeming the firstborn. And so Joseph and Mary are following the law, obey the law. Not that Jesus is sinful, but they are obedient to the fullness of God's law and God's word in their life. But there's some great truths for us to learn here quickly. Understand this, that your life's not your life. It's a gift from Almighty God. And your child's life, your grandchild's life, it's not yours. It's his life. He gave it. He's entrusted that child to your care. And you need God's help, God's blessing. And so, this is the very thing, this act of worship with Joseph and Mary. Joseph, the adopted father of the Lord Jesus. And they stand there as a young family presenting an offering to God and saying, this child is a gift from you entrusted to us. Wow. Amazing, isn't it? Beautiful. Today, I want us to look at the characters that greet them in this temple complex and some lessons that we can learn from them. I'm going to have to go through this very quickly today. Number one, you see the man named Simeon. And, uh, and, and notice the first lesson that we know is that we need to be living in the present. And Simeon was. He was living in the presence, in the very present. And uh, not only the presence of the Lord, notice in verse number 25, there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, the salvation coming, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Notice this man was looking in his life. He was, he was, he was righteous and devout, but looking forward. And that is an active thing in his life. Every day of Simeon's life, he was living with expectation, anticipation, and looking forward to what God was going to do. By looking forward, he was presently living his life, trying to discern and see what God God was at work. He was looking for Israel's consolation. The word consolation is, is, it means comfort, it's paraclesis. It's, it's the comfort of God. It's the salvation and the hope that God would send for those in oppression. And he's looking for the birth of this Messiah, this one that would come. This is definitely messianic. He's coming looking for this Messiah. Folks, listen, there's so many of us miss out on what God's doing because we're sleepwalking through life. Simeon did not do that. He was presently looking and aware. Secondly, by living faithfully. He was called devout. That means he was faithful. He was faithful to God, committed to God, to obey God. He devoted himself to know God. I want to ask you this question. What are you devoted to? What is it in your life that you're devoted to? What is it that you're disciplined about? I think the devotion of your life, if we took the calendar and how you spend your time, and we took our checkbook and how we invest our money, it would give us an understanding 
of what's really priority and devotion in our life in many regards. He was also a man who lived with integrity. He was described not only as devout, but just or righteous. That means he, was, he lived with integrity. He, he was righteous in regards to the law. He, he didn't disobey God's word, but he obeyed his word. And that's how we embrace the Savior all year long. God speaks to us. God's revealed to us. God is speaking to us. And, and we want to live rightly, obediently before God. Let me tell you what. When you lose, Easter, when you lose Christmas joy, it happens when we begin to slide into disobedience and rebellion rather than obedience to Almighty God in our life. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. <clears throat> Finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you must walk and please God, as you're doing, do so even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Verse 3. For this is God's will, your sanctification. First, that you abstain from sexual immorality so that each of you know how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against or defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Verse 8, therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also gives you his Holy Spirit. Amen. Verse 11, to seek, and this is how, live your life. Seek to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Sounds like my grandma right there. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So that you may walk how? Properly. In the presence of outsiders. And not be dependent on anyone. He said live a life of integrity. Not only keeping the law, but how you live in relationship in the world. Mind your own business, work with your own hands, pay your own bills, get a job, and live right and have integrity and don't depend on other people. Simeon was a man of integrity in his life. You want to have Christmas joy in your life? Grow up, be responsible, live a right, right, right life before God and your fellow man. Take care of your family, love your wife, love your children, love your dog. Take care of your family. Be right, live right, do right, and experience blessing and joy in your life. Make sense? Hmm. This is the kind of man that we see that Simeon is in his life. And that's the kind of people that embrace the Savior all year long. Amen? Not only that, he was spirit-filled, spirit-directed, spirit-guided in his life. Notice in verse number 25, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, on him. Notice in, in, in verse number 27, he was guided by the Spirit when he entered into the temple. He was a man that was moved by the Spirit. It was in the Holy Spirit, verse number 26, revealed to him. He, 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 was, he, he walked by, was moved by the Holy Spirit. 
The New King James Version says in verse 27, He came by the Holy Spirit. The New American Standard in the ESV says He came in the Spirit. The New Living Translation says the Spirit led Him to the temple. It's, it's the same kind of phraseology that was used concerning our Lord in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tempted. So it's guided by, led by. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit guides you. If you have your Bible, this is not on the screen, so you have to do it the old-fashioned way. Take your Bible. Look with me to John's Gospel, chapter number 14, verse 23. John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, now listen, and make our home, our abode, with him. He lives in you. Christ, this is mind-boggling, that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. Verse 26, John 14. Verse number 26, listen to what the Scripture says. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him, how? In my name, and he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. He lives in you, dwells in you, teaches you, reminds you. Wow. This is the work of the Spirit in you. John's Gospel, chapter 16, and verse number 12. I have many things to tell you, but you can't hear it now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you into all truth. Wow. The Holy Spirit is leading you, guiding you. Paul talks about that those who are really God's children are led by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, listen, look in verse number 12. Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers, we're not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. It's death for you. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Verse 14. Verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's actively His voice and life is in us. And if children also heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified with Him. Wow. God's Spirit's dwelling in you, leading you, guiding you. Amazing. We've got some of these home devices that we carry with us, don't we? And phone devices. And they listen to what we're saying. They say they're not. They are. I'm convinced. I'm over at Brad and Aaron seeing little Charlotte, baby girl, month old, holding her. She had the hiccups. I said, Aaron, she's got the hiccups. What do you do to fix hiccups? And see, we're talking about it. It shows up on my Google, how to fix hiccups. I never once searched on Google for hiccups. 
just coincidence, right? We got a steak knife yesterday from my son, Andy. Really nice one. And he said, Dad, I'm tired of coming to your house and everything's dull in the drawer. I got a steak knife. I opened up my phone and it's advertising steak knives to me. And I never searched on it. Matt, am I wrong about this? I think they're listening. The gremlins are in our house. All I got to know, they're spies. Alexa now is listening at our house through a new device we got. I don't even know her. <laughs> but she's telling me what my calendar is for the day. You've got a busy day today. You have five appointments. Well, how do you know? Here's the deal. I don't know how that technology works, but I know this. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. And that's the voice of God from heaven. And he's speaking and reminding truth to me. And I need to hear his voice. How do I hear it? I fill myself with his word. The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, whereas in his excess, but be ye filled, King James, with the Holy Spirit ghost with the Holy Spirit. Colossians, a sister book to Ephesians, says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you as I fill my mind and heart with God's word, his spirit speaking to me about how to live my life. And I should obey him with my life. That's walking in Spirit. Amen? Amen? Let's walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Obey the Spirit in your life. I'm going to have to finish the rest of this sermon another time. But I'm not done quite yet. God's Spirit speaks to me. I don't want you to think that this is only for preachers. This is only for priests. This is only for spirit-filled people or only charismatic people. This is not true. Listen to me. You don't have to be bonked on a head by a TV evangelist to become spirit-filled. God, when you turned your life from sin and selfishness, and you embrace Jesus, His Spirit lives in you. And He's changing you, speaking to you, transforming you to be more like His Son. This is awesome. And the way you embrace the Savior all year is to say, I want to hear your Spirit. Obey your Spirit. And be led by your spirit in my life. This week I had the opportunity to share the gospel with a couple of different people. I had a situation recently where I was getting ready to eat a meal. I was visiting with somebody else. And 
I said, you know, we're going to ready to pray. He said, can, anything I can pray with you about or going on in your life that I would pray about? There was no, hardly anybody else around. And this woman said, yeah, there is. And she just poured out her heart. I said, can we pray? She said, yeah, thank you for praying for me. I said, do you want to join us? She said, sure. She put down the stuff that she was serving, the, the tea or water. I put out my hand. She held my hand. And we just prayed. Why did I do that? Because clearly I knew that God's Spirit had told me to do that. Because He speaks. Will you listen? Will you be sensitive? He's speaking. This is how we embrace the Savior. All year long. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this story. And Father, in the life of our Savior and lessons that we can learn about how to live our life and to embrace you. Father, have your way in our hearts and our lives. If there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that today they might turn and embrace Christ and find the joy of real Christmas in their life. Lord, if others have been distracted, things have displaced the the joy, I pray they would turn and return to you. God, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. You come. Come down. There are folks here to pray with you this morning. You come as we sing.